My name is Frank Bria, host of the Six to Seven Figure Podcast and the author of Scale, How to Grow Your Business by Working Less. And if you want to define your own idea of success and live your best life, you should be listening to the More Than Corporate Podcast with my good friend, Amber Furman. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast, where we discuss finding fulfillment, defining success, and living your best life. There's no roadmap to success, no one-size-fits-all answer to fulfillment. I believe it requires us all to be vulnerable and authentic about what we want to accomplish and have the courage to step out of our comfort zone to chase our dreams. Keep listening to hear stories from inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today, I have an interview with Frank Bria. He's the author of internationally best-selling book, Scale, How to Grow Your Business by Working Less, and the founder of High Ticket Program, a strategy firm dedicated to scaling B2B service businesses. A trained mathematician and systems engineer, Frank launched several fintech startups in the advanced analytics space. He has consulted with Fortune 500 companies and multinational tech firms on quantitative marketing solutions including AI and predictive analytics. Now he works with software as a service companies, leveraging advanced analytics to improve customer experience and retention. Frank is also the host of the six to seven figure show and the software as a service CX show podcasts. He lives in Phoenix, Arizona. In this episode, we dig into so much, including Frank's journey from the corporate world into entrepreneurship. We also talk about what he means by the six to seven figure show and what he thinks is that thing that can take a business owner from a six-figure business to a seven-figure business. I'm really excited for you guys to hear from Frank. This episode was really, really fun to record. Before we jump into that, I want to talk to you guys about some connecting opportunities that I have. As you guys know, I talk a lot about my journey and I talk a lot about what it was like for me when I felt like I had accomplished so much, yet I was so unfulfilled. I talk a lot about the lack of direction that I felt like I had and the confusion that I had because I didn't know what my next steps were supposed to be. And I just didn't have the confidence in myself or the belief in myself or even a true picture of what was really possible in life in order to guide me into the direction that I wanted to go. If this sounds like you at all, I would love to have the opportunity to connect with you and see how we may be able to work together to make an impact in the world. If that is something that you're interested in, there is a Calendly link in the show notes where you can book a time to connect with me and we can jump on a call and I can learn more about what you're going through and see what options I may have to help you, including my free Facebook group online, as well as some other coaching opportunities if you're interested. I look forward to connecting with you. And without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Frank. Frank, thank you so much for coming on the show with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Amber, my uh, pleasure. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. I am super excited to have you here. And I think there's so much that we're going to be able to talk about with your story and your background, and especially in light of what's going on in the country right now with everybody trying to figure out how they're going to economically survive in a time like this and moving forward as our economy recovers. So I'm super excited to get into some of that conversation with you. Yeah. Before we do, I'd love to just kind of start with a little bit of your background. Um, where did you grow up? 
so I grew up, I, I kind of say I came from everywhere because I, I moved around a lot as a kid. I, I claim upstate New York is home. I kind of, you know, graduated from high school in Rochester, New York. Um, so I, I'm an Easterner. So, you know, New York, New England is where I spent most of my time. But I was actually born in California. And I've lived in the South. I've lived in the Midwest. I've lived in the Intermountain West. And I'm in Arizona now. So it's, I, I, I'm kind of a roamer, I guess. But, a roamer. I like yeah. it. I like it. <laughs> Staying in one place too long is overrated anyways. That's true. <laughs> so you are um, a financial guru, I'm going to call you, for lack of a better explanation, um, with a really cool story working in banks and then going into yourself. How did you get into this financial world? I don't, I don't know if any yeah. kid ever says, ooh, I really like numbers. No, for sure. Well, for sure not. And in fact, um, so my, my original plan was to teach college mathematics. And I actually did for a few years. I, I uh, went to grad school, was working on my PhD in mathematics, like did all the coursework for a PhD, got halfway through my dissertation. And uh, I actually love teaching, but there was something about it that was, it was very um, specific for lack of a better term. Like it, it didn't really like use all of the things that were of interest to me. And I, I realized that, you know, business and law and communications and all this other kind of stuff, which really fascinates me was like left out of that equation completely. So I loved teaching, don't get me wrong, it was absolutely a lot of fun. Um, but at some point I was kind of like, yeah, I think I better go do something else. So, you know, when you have working on a PhD in mathematics, there's like really only one place you can go. <laughs> and that's to like be a numbers consultant somewhere, you know? So interestingly enough, like as, as, as long as I've been uh, in mathematics, like, uh, you know, whatever, 12 years of math, probably more than that now, of taking college classes in mathematics, I cannot do arithmetic to save my life. <laughs> so um, adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing like totally blows. Like we'll be out at dinner with friends and everyone's like, well, Frank, calculate the tip. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, no, I won't do that. <laughs> you know, I can handle 71 dimensional spaces, but I can't calculate the tip. <laughs> so it's, it's just weird. I, I never was like your typical math guy. So Yes, yeah, so I ended up um, as a consultant. Um, I started out in actuarial work, which if no one's familiar with that, it's kind of the, the number crunching that insurance companies do to kind of calculate probabilities of bad things happening. And so I started off in, in retirement. And so, you know, the, the calculations I was making were, you know, when is someone going to retire, when they're going to die, you know, all that fun stuff. Yeah, but, real happy, happy yeah, things. Yeah, happy stuff. But <laughs> I lucked out. I landed at this boutique consulting firm in Chicago, um, founded by these four guys who had come out of like the big five and uh, wanted to do it their own way. And I was, I was an oddball. Like most of the people who come into an actuarial firm, you know, they're bachelors in mathematics, they're 21, you know, they're, um, they're just starting out. And so they kind of throw them in the pen. And, you know, have them crunch on tax forms and stuff like that and do calculations and spreadsheets and things like that. But I was older, had been teaching, had some experience. And so I was a bit of an odd duck. And they could have very easily said, listen, you're coming in as a beginning actuary. You're going to go in the pen with everybody else. But they didn't. They said, you've got some skills. We're actually going to put you in our tech group. And we're going to put you in front of clients. And, I mean, you don't do that as a consulting firm. You know, you don't take someone as a brand new hire and three months later, put them in front of clients, you just don't do it. I lucked out. I was working with Fortune 500 companies like right out of school as the main person. I wasn't like being babysat by somebody. They sent me out on my own to do these, these meetings. They taught me everything about the consulting business, like everything I knew. And 
they were an amazing company to work for. Just super, super incredible experience. And, and like I said, just they were great that they um, gave me that opportunity. But insurance is boring. I'm sorry. <laughs> if any insurance people, like, it's just not my thing. They'd probably agree with you anyways. Probably, so. yeah. We, we like to joke that actuaries are the accountants without the personality. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. So I, I never really fit into that character anyway. Um, so I went into banking, which is, you know, kind of the next financial services thing in insurance and uh, worked for worked for, for a bank and then went on the technology side because that was my background from uh, consulting. So did a couple of tech startups. You know, we sold a few, we crashed a few. <laughs> That's the way it goes. <laughs> and um, out of that, um, I sort of became known for some advanced quantitative analysis for uh, banks in their marketing and pricing area. So, you know, I, I got asked to fly all over the world and speak and help banks pretty much in every every continent. I think the only continent I haven't worked in for strange strangely of South America, but every and Antarctica. No banks in Antarctica, but everywhere else I've been really lucky to have had opportunities to work. So yeah, that's kind of how I got into it. You know, you, you look back, you, no one ever plans to do, I think, what they do. They kind of like fall into it. That True. was for sure what happened to me. You know? I love it. When you were working for that consulting firm, because I, you have your, your background in math and you wanted to be a teacher and then went into this auditing or insurance world. Yeah. So when you were with the consulting firm, was that your first introduction to entrepreneurism and consulting and things like that? Or had you had I that mean, before? Yes and no. I mean, um, I was always a bit of a, like, even as a kid, kind of wanted to do entrepreneurship, but in my own way. You know, like, when, when most people say that as a kid they were entrepreneurs, they tell these stories about, like, going and selling band candy down every house, you know? Like, I was not that person. Like, I seriously did not like that at all. In fact, I would be the person who would eat the band candy and then put my own money in the box to avoid it. <laughs> But I had lots of ideas and wanted to do like sell stuff. And I like it, I think I was like 11 and a friend of mine and I like started to like put little pom-pom dolls together and try to sell them at school and stuff. And, and as a 10 year old, my parents for my birthday gave me office supplies. <laughs> so like I had this walk-in closet with like a shelf, like, you know, at chair level and where you'd put your shoes, like normal people would put their shoes there. But I put a little chair there and I had a stapler <laughs> and a, you know, all this stuff. So I had my little office in my closet. Yeah. So I, I kind of always wanted it to be doing something business-like. And when I kind of moved into math and academics, that felt like it was a bit of a departure, which is why I, it didn't really stick. You know, there was always a part of me that wanted to go back to that. But yeah, this consulting firm was the first, I think, true introduction into entrepreneurship. It was a small company. There were about 50 employees. And I was rubbing shoulders with the founders on a daily basis and I got to experience what it was like to start and run their firm because they told me the stories and kind of kept me in the loop. And um, yeah, it's kind of a bug. I think when you catch it, it's uh, so much it, and we yeah. all catch it at different times in our, in our career, but once right. you have it, like it's insane. Yeah. I think it's interesting what you said about your education path with, math, because I think that applies to so many different things. And I wish that each education path would just add some entrepreneurial stuff in there. Cause I know oh, law sure. was the same way. Like I knew nothing about running a law firm, yeah. um, until I had to do it and it would be, and they offered classes, right. 
they offered electives of like learn how to do this, but who yeah. does that as an elective? Like it kind of needs to be forced because when you're in that education aspect, the right. last thing you're thinking is let me learn how to run a business. Like I need well, to learn how to do law. Like, let me take on additional classes that yeah. I don't need to take. You know, I mean, yeah. I mean, law school is a particularly intense period of time. Um, you know, getting a PhD in mathematics it's different, but it's still intense. And yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're spending all your time, you know, uh, trying to advance the field, cause like when you're getting your PhD, that's the whole point. You're trying to advance the field of mathematics. Believe it or not, there's like new stuff in math people are trying to invent, <laughs> you know, and, uh, that's a lot of pressure, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, you, you think about these other things and I mean, they even offered classes in how to, how to run your own class for people who would eventually go into teaching and even people didn't take that. And I'm thinking that's your job. Yeah. I just, so it's so it's interesting. True, it's true. It's missing. I think. Yeah. It's interesting to have these conversations and think if I could go back then, what classes would I take that I thought were just bullshit classes, uh, yeah, totally. you know, at the time. I, I, yeah. Absolutely. So, I feel the same way. Yeah. So you're working um, with this consulting firm and then yeah. were you working with the consulting firm while you were working with the banks or was that a later transition? Uh, no, yeah. So uh, I uh, I left the Chicago consulting firm and um, and went into banking. So okay. I first went into banking and then did some tech startup uh, stuff. So it was probably about I would say about seven years later that I was actually on my own officially um, as my own sort of independent consultant. And now, yeah, and then I was working with banks and um, and uh, and, and uh, analytic software companies that worked with banks. You know, okay. So still uh, very heavy fintech sector. Okay. So you work for the banks for a period of time and then what happened or what comes next in your series of career choices? So, yeah. So I'm, so as a consult, like, you know, I, I mean, I thought that would be the end of the story, right? You got this great consulting career. You're like flying all over the world. Like, you know, I've Delta recognizes me when I get on the plane. Like, <laughs> you know, I thought I had made it in. And, and then, you know, you, you get to this place where it's like, this isn't, what I thought it was going to be, you know, the, um, I, my kids were growing up and I wasn't home. Um, I was on the road all the time. Uh, it was really intense. I mean, it was like, Hey Frank, we need you in Johannesburg in three days kind of thing. It it's, um, I remember one time I literally landed in South Africa in the morning and left in the evening. I flew from the United States wow. to South Africa in the morning. And in the evening, I flew from South, uh, South Africa to Germany. My passport had so many stamps on it. Israeli security thought I was a spy. So <laughs> in fact, my kids, that was their joke. They're like, dad's a spy. He's got passports and foreign money in his drawer. <laughs> you know, That's insane. What an yeah. exciting life though. It, it was. I mean, and, and you know, I look back on it now and I think, hey, look, I was lucky. I got a chance to experience stuff that people do not get to experience in their life, you know? And we had an opportunity one summer to take the kids to, to uh, Europe. And so the kids were, you know, for 12 weeks, they got to live in, in we had to visit 15 different countries as I was working there for the summer. So, you know, yes, there, there were some amazing things. So it's definitely not something to complain about, but it's also not what I wanted my life to be. I mean, there are, you know, there's, there's price you pay for that. And, you know, one, one time uh, it, it kind of hit me. Uh, I was I was in Kiev, actually, I was in Ukraine. It was uh, I remember it was right. It was Super Bowl Sunday because uh, I was watching the Super Bowl at two o'clock in the morning in Ukraine. It was oh my the gosh! One when the power went out uh, in the uh, state. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that New Orleans? I think that was New Orleans. I think so. I can't remember exactly where it was, but yeah, I remember the power going out because I was 
watching on my laptop. I'm like, what's going on? Um, so yeah, in the morning I get a text message, like we have a major family medical crisis and I need to get home now. Um, and so I did that thing that you imagine you would never have to do. I'm in a meeting where people have flown in from all over the world to listen to me talk to them. And I have to stand up and say, I'm sorry, I have to end this meeting and get to the airport right now. Um, there's an emergency like, and walk out, you know, of a meeting that I had flown across the world for and that everyone else had flown in for. Um, but, and as you can imagine, there's not exactly a, a direct flight from Kiev to Phoenix. So, you know, getting a last minute emergency flight home, you, you got a lot of time on your hands to think. And uh, it really got me thinking like, you know, what have I built here? Is this really what I wanted? And um, I would, I guess I, I would say I'm savvy enough of a business person to know that what I had really kind of done for myself is just created a really high paying job for myself, but not a business, not an actual thing I owned, not an asset, you know? Yeah. Because you know, if I can't get on a plane, I'm not going anywhere. Um, I had a client later on who was a therapist and we were working on his business model. And he said, I think he said it really well. He's like, if my butt's not in my seat, I'm not making any money. So that's definitely not what I wanted to create. So I kind of came to this point where I was like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be the million miler flying all over the place. George Clooney character from up in the air. Like that was what I was doing. And um, yeah, it, I, it, it kind of, it gets you to really think about what's important. Yeah. And I, what I love about that so much is that we all have an idea of what we think we want until we get it. And right. then there's always something else. And I mean, some people could say it's the grass is greener argument, but I think it's just always self-discovery of figuring out what it is that you want. And one of my favorite quotes ever is from Mark Manson in The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. He talked about how you should never know who you are. He's like, I don't want you to figure out who you are because as soon as you think you know who you are, like you're going to change. So yeah. I think that that's so important to have those self-reflecting. I think there's always this thing about like, it also gives us this false sense of arrival. Like we're yeah. waiting for this moment to arrive and there is no such thing. Like we don't get there, you know, we don't, we don't suddenly become self-actualized. Like this is, there's not a landing spot. And I know for a long time I lived in a place where it was, I'll do this when I, and man, you know, I'm 49 now. I wasted a lot of time on that, you know? Um, and Yeah, uh, but just, learning lessons that you needed to learn to sure, understand absolutely. this. So I, I definitely understand the wasting time idea. I feel like that a yeah. lot. And, but I also know that I wouldn't be able to do what I do now without those lessons that, that I learned. That is absolutely that true. Yeah. So one of the questions I had for you before we um, move on, I wanted to unpack a little bit that you said, yeah. so you're in this meeting of corporate executives with a bank right? That have all flown out to this yeah. country. And you're like, sorry, guys, I got to peace out. Right. I don't always think of the corporate environment as being flexible. What was the reaction to that from the people that you were working with? Were they understanding or was it, were you getting some, some downfall on that from? Yeah. Above? You know, it's funny. Um, I mean, I think initially I mean, the answer I think is I don't really know. Like, I don't think we ever really know, right? Because yeah. people, especially, I mean, different cultures are a little bit different. We Americans tend to not say, comp, you know, hard things if we don't want to. Other cultures are a little bit different. So I was in a Slavic country where they tend <laughs> to speak their mind a little bit more. So I suspect they were understanding. But um, 
yeah, you never really know. And for sure, uh, that long ride home, part of it is like, well, I've lost this client. I mean, I mean, I did not do business with that bank. I mean, it's true. Like I did not land that deal. So I, I certainly, the old me would have spent a lot of time worrying about it. And I think one of the things that I've kind of grown into is, hey, I'm here to serve my clients definitely. And I'm here to do the best I can with it. But at the end of the day, like the point of this is to create uh, my definition of success around my priorities and my family takes the, my kids take the, take the lead, you know? So the, the, the new me would be a little shrug shoulders, I guess. And it like, I don't know what you want me to do, but it's true that you never know what you're going to get in a corporate environment for sure. Um, yeah. And, and I feel like no matter what you're doing in life, you've got to make that decision knowing that you're, I mean, there are consequences to every decision you make good yep. or bad. Yes. And this is why it's so important for you to be in control of your own life and to make your own decisions because whether you have good or bad consequences, you have to deal with those and you yeah, need to I be agree. able to sleep at night. Right. I, to me, the, the, per, the purpose is, is freedom, you know, personal freedom. It's, it's the be, ability to be able to make your own choices, to be able to live according to your own, um, your own moral code, you know, and we all have different versions of that. So to not have to tie yourself to some other in, you know, institution. And yeah, there are consequences, but it's great to be in a place, to, to get yourself in a place where you can say, yeah, I get what the consequences are, but I'm able to make that choice because this is important to me and I am living consistent with my priorities. Yeah, and I, I think it also, especially when we're dealing with something as important as finances or our family or moving into the legal field, you know, whether you're family's going to be able to stay here in the United States with you. Like at yeah. the end, you never know how these, those things are going to turn out. And we need to be able to know as individuals that we're not going to second guess every decision that we made. And like, we have to make a decision and be able to understand at the outcome that we did the best we could. Right. So I, I definitely love your answer on that. I, one of the things that you said really stuck out at me and I want to go deeper into that because I think it's so important. And that was the idea of just creating a high profile job for yourself. Yeah. I feel like so many, many times people enter the workforce as a business owner and entrepreneur and all they're doing is creating like a self-employed yeah. thing for them where they're just paying their paycheck. Now, right. obviously what you do now, we're going to go into in a little bit in detail, but you work with individuals to help them kind of get out of that spot and create sure. residual income and, and do that. But can you kind of talk about the difference between the yeah. self-employed job and an actual business and entrepreneurship? Yeah. I mean, I mean, and this concept isn't that new. I mean, this is kind of like the e-myth, you know, go, going back to that, but there is a difference between a freelancer and a business owner. You know, and we like to use the word entrepreneur, but it's vague and it doesn't really mean anything. Um, and I use it. I'm not ragging on the word, you know, but freelancer and business owner is more descriptive because it's more clear exactly what business model you've, you've set up for yourself. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with either one. I just want people to be making a, a, a choice, like a, a well-informed choice about which one they're going to go into. And so a freelancer you know, uh, is, is basically a service provider. And just like you would on a job, you're clocking in and out. Now you may not charge that way. You may not see yourself that way, but fundamentally, you know, when you're producing, uh, you're making money. And when you're not producing, you're not making money. And that's the way it goes. And you can create great leverage as a freelancer. You can create great freedom as a freelancer. There's nothing wrong with it, but you need to understand that you're clocking in and out still. Um, you're just clocking your own clock, <laughs> you know, you're punching your own clock. 
Um, a business owner is interested in building up something that's going to live beyond themselves. And so I think that's fundamentally the question you have to ask yourself is, you know, if I were gone, what would be left of what I've built? And if the answer is nothing or, you know, some clients and some, you know, things, un unfulfilled projects, no one's going to be able to take that on for you. And so you don't really have anything someone could buy or pass along. It's not valuable in any way. And I don't mean that just from an accounting perspective. I mean that from a, from an actual, like realistic perspective. Can, can someone make money off of what you did or is it going to pretty much die with you? And um, that's a question that I didn't ask myself for a very long time. And uh, when you, you get to a place, I think as a entrepreneur where you have to make this decision. Like I'm a freelancer right now, but I need to become a business owner. And how do I make that shift? Yeah. And I think one of the hardest questions from personal experience to ask yourself is, am I ready to give up the control of my business to do that? Cause that was the hardest thing for me is like yeah. finding people that you trust that will do the things that you should not be doing so that you Absolutely. can go out and do other things. But yeah. that goes right into kind of what you do now. So you create this consulting, um, I don't know if you call it a coaching or consulting firm. Um, and can you talk a little bit about what you do and what your goal is with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So we work with B2B service providers. So businesses who are selling to other businesses and it could be, it could be consulting, it could be coaching, it could be service providers, but fundamentally it's what I like to call high value business services. Um, and we help them break out of a freelancer model and move into an asset creation model. And the way that we do that is by creating what I call a high ticket program. Uh, the, the, the wording that we use is a program is kind of like halfway between product and, and, and uh, service. So it's still a service business fundamentally, but you want it productized to, uh, to a way where it's repeatable. Um, and it does look a little bit different than a service business. And there are definitely things you have to change in order to get there, but it's, it's fundamentally moving people through that process of how do I get something repeatable and scalable that's going to grow. Even if I'm not punching the clock, it's still going to continue to grow. Love it. And in addition to that, you created this podcast to kind of go along with your business, the six yeah. to seven figure podcast. Is that right? Yeah, the six to seven figure show. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's a great conversation because one of the things we notice is that freelancer to business owner, split is kind of right there between six to seven figures. Like we looked at the census data, actually did the analysis of it. Um, a business service business owners tend to top out somewhere between like 250 and $400,000 a year. Now I know a lot of people who are entrepreneurs are like, I'd be great. I'd love to be, that's <laughs> it. That's the top. Like it doesn't get better than that. You have to change your model in order to break through that ceiling. So we have a lot of business owners who are in that spot who say to us, I, I'm tired, like I'm exhausted. I can't take on another client because I don't have any more time. And they tend to be in about that income range when they get there. Some, sometimes they're in the low six figures, but they're in six. And if they wanted it, and the reason we say six to seven is because the idea of suddenly getting you a million dollars in your business annually, like if you're a freelancer, you're, you can tell it's going to break your brain. Like my, this isn't going to work. Like there's no way I can do this and get to a million dollars. So if that's your goal, then you're already motivated around having to make that switch. So it's an, uh, it's really cool because we get to talk to people who are even in the middle of that process. You know, I know a lot of podcasts kind of bring in, you know, the, 
you know, the, the, the super high influencers and super successful, but these, these folks know what they're doing, but we get to talk about the like nitty gritty of how are you actually pulling that off? And um, they get to share really cool insights about how they run things in group and how they service clients, uh, you know, more than one at a time and all that good stuff. A lot of, a lot of secrets of the trade. Yeah, I love it. And you do such a good job with the podcast. Like I said, I've listened to a few episodes and both, I, I really enjoy the solo teaching episodes that you do because right. they're so, they're like you said, right down into the nitty gritty where you're actually giving actionable steps of what people can do. And there's just so much value in that podcast. So anybody who is an entrepreneur, and I would even say anybody who's in a nine to five that's thinking about going into their business ownership should come check this out because this is information that they are going to need when they get started. So I really, really like your podcast a lot. Thank you. Thank you, you are very welcome. So as you transitioned into this coaching and consulting area where you were starting your own business and helping other business owners, leaving this what people would call ideal job. Yeah. Did you have any family and friends kind of looking at you going, you're kind of nuts. Like you yeah. get to travel all the time. Like we'll just trade you lives. Like yeah. don't well, give it up. I, mostly it was like, well, what are you going to do now? And I didn't have a really good answer to that. So, you know, it was like, wait, are, are you, you're so basically you're quitting. And that's the thing, right? Cause I was in a job. So I was quitting my own job and I'm like, I, I, I really underplayed it. You know, I, I really thought it was going to be easier than it was going to, than it actually was. Um, and that was just me just not doing it the right way. You know, I kind of learned the hard way, but yeah, I did a lot of people that you're crazy. Um, it's funny, actually at the time I had a cousin who was just getting started and he was kind of a, uh, salesman kind of did, you know, vacuum, uh, sales, uh, in, in small shops, like all across the, uh, Northern United States. And so he was driving everywhere. He was a classic, you know, on the road sales guy. And he loved it, like going from hotel to hotel and driving place <laughs> to place. And he's like, I love this. And I'm like, oh, that's cute. <laughs> <laughs> hey, did you say he had just started? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's when you always enjoy it. I know. <laughs> um, I also think it's interesting the feedback that you get, which is different from people who are in this space and yeah. people who aren't in it. Because I know when I opened my law firm, I was I had never thought about owning my own business before. And I was like, I'm out. Like, I'm going to quit practicing law. I'm going to go figure out what I want to do with my life. But this shit sucks. Yeah. And um, somebody says, just open your own law office. And they had had their own law office for a while. And I'm like, I don't know about this. And they're like, Amber, you will be surprised at how much you, or how little you have to work to make what somebody is willing to pay you. Yeah. And that to me was the best advice I had ever received. Like you can make as much money as you want out on your own, but if you're getting paid a salary from somebody, you have to work a fraction of what yeah. you're working for that person to make that on your own. Yeah, it's true because, you know, that someone's making the money, you know, yeah. as I like to say, and you'll, you'll get a kick out of this because you're, you're from Vegas. I always tell people like, I had to build the fountains. Like someone's paying for those fountains. They didn't come from nowhere. They didn't know? come from nowhere. And the yeah. people who built it aren't necessarily like, and that's, that's the thing. The people that did the labor to build it, to oh, build yeah. it are not the people that are making the money off of it. So, well, yeah, I mean, and you know, and we see this everywhere, you know, and obviously in the United States, it's not as bad as it is in some areas of the world, but like um, Dubai, you know, one of the richest uh, entrepreneurial capitals in the world, you know, most of the people who build that city can't even enjoy the city, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, the closest thing we probably have that in the United States is Hawaii. 
you know, a lot yeah. of folks who live in Hawaii can't even afford to do the half the stuff in Hawaii. So yeah, you end up in a, in a different spot when you're, you know, kind of working for someone else and making their profit. Now, granted, they're taking some risks. You know, I mean, I have friends who don't want to be entrepreneurs and they say, yeah. I love it. I come home, my work's done. I don't have to worry about it. Like, you know, I don't have to make burgers in the middle of the night. Like I'll do it in the morning when I go to work. So every, you gotta, you gotta understand your temperament. But, but one of the things that you said, which I really think is super important is be careful who you're taking advice from. Yep. Like not everyone's advice is equal and it, and it's not like it's wrong or right, but it has to be right for you. And in order to get the right advice for you, you need to be around the people who you want to be like and take yeah. their advice, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said too about it not being for everyone. There are no wrong choices in this world. Yeah. Like I would, I'll never, you know, look down on anybody that picks a job and supports their family and lives their life and they're happy. I don't, yep. I don't care if you want to be working fast food for your life. Like that's yep. amazing. If yep. that makes you happy, it's what is right for you. And, exactly. and in order to figure that out, you got to be around people. And this is why one of your podcast episodes, and we talked about this a little bit before we jumped on the show, um, talks about Facebook ads or making ads in general. Yeah. And the fact that you can throw all the money that you want at ads and it's not going to work if you haven't tested that message out through networking or other online sites. Yeah. And I think that in order to do that, you have to be around people who are doing what you want to be doing and expanding the group of people that you're hanging out with so that you can see what's truly possible in that space. And get, and get a, a, the real answer from people. I mean, unfortunately, one of the things I think that's true in the entrepreneurial space, at least online, is that um, a lot of people can tell a story and you have no idea if the story's true or not, or you don't really know what's going on in the background. I mean, I can tell you from personal experience because we get hired by these entrepreneurs to fix the mess on the back end of these programs. Like one of the things we often do is we come into a program that's selling really well, but not delivering well, and we fix it, you know, on the back end. So I can tell you a lot of people who look like they've got their stuff together do not have their stuff together on the back end. So unfortunately they're, you know, they're, they're saying what's working. And again, because as you said, like, it's not like people, we all went through entrepreneurial classes. So a lot of people don't see the patterns of what's actually working and not. And so they'll go, Hey, I'm running Facebook ads. It's working for me. This is totally what you should be doing. Well, yeah, except you've been doing this for two years and you hustled for a while. And I know how you can't sell that part, but mm -hmm. you do have to at least tell people that they've got to, you know, be qualified. And so, you know, paid advertising is a really important and critical element of your growth strategy, but it has to be at the right time of your business. And basically I kind of tell people, Hey, if you're not making about 300, $400,000 a year, you probably shouldn't be buying ads. And I know that's a hugely high number and they're going to be like people screaming in their earphones right now, you know, at their AirPods saying that I'm, that I'm crazy because they sell Facebook ads to people who are making 50, 60 grand a year. And I just don't think that's, that works very well. And I mean, of course, there are always exceptions. There's always going to be exceptions, but it's not my job to help you figure out the exception. Like it's my job right. to make things as easy as possible. And um, the thing that's missing from those ads is you, you got to write copy and you got to have images and you got to have messaging that works. And, you know, if, if you're not testing that out on real life human beings, 
then the only thing you know is that your ads aren't working. That doesn't help you very much. Like what's not working? Is it the funnel? Is it the page? I mean, there's like a million variables that could go wrong. I mean, is it, is it the color of the headline? You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of how tweaked down people get on these things. At the beginning, you should just be talking to real human beings and asking them like, hey, this is the problem I'm trying to solve. And this is the pain point that we think people have. Does that resonate with you? They're going to tell you like, yeah, no, actually, no, I don't understand what that is. Or you know what? I totally have that problem, but I would never pay anyone to solve it for me. Like get that information as soon as you possibly can. You know? Yeah, I love that so much because you're not going to sell a product that nobody wants, a product no, or service I, that nobody wants like, I don't or that people smart, don't understand. Yeah, or how much you've dumped into your ad campaign. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to buy it. No one's going to buy it. Yeah. That's insane. So I don't know whether you can answer this or not. It may be a difficult, unanswerable question, but you go in and you work with these businesses all the time. And normally um, people hire a coach or a consultant because something's not going the way that they want it to go in their yeah business. So is there a mistake that you just kind of see over and over and over again that new entrepreneurs that are going into the space could get on the forefront of to set things up properly? Oh, where to start? Um, <laughs> yeah, a couple. So yeah, so one big thing I see is, so we've already talked about one of the big ones, which is just not getting validation, right? I just, uh, I think people, uh, especially nowadays, it's really easy to think I'm, it's an online business. So I'll just do everything online. And that means I don't have to interact with people. And what that, I think a lot, especially a lot of introverts are like, Oh, I get to hide behind my computer and I don't have to talk to anyone. Well, that's really hard to build a business that way. You really are going to have to actually talk to people. So that's, that's one thing. But the other thing I would say is I think people, they, they, they don't measure uh, the metrics correctly. In other words, they, they're looking at the wrong things to see whether or not they're successful, right? People are counting Facebook followers or they're counting numbers of members in their Facebook group or they're counting the size of their list or how many people are downloading the podcast or whatever it is. They're all metrics which are separated away from the thing that really matters. And the thing that really matters is how much money you're making. And sure, there's a relationship between the two, theoretically, but <laughs> if you don't have your business model structured right and you don't have all of your pieces in place, that that connection may actually not be there. And so what, what that ends up, I think uh, a lot of people, especially in the online entrepreneurial space, feel like they are not ready yet to go do something big because they don't have a big enough following. And that's just crap. It's just not true. It doesn't work that way. Um, you don't need like a, an email list of 10,000 people to make money. You know, uh, you don't even need an email list of a thousand people to make money. You need like three or four clients you know, it's just that you're not charging the right amount of money. You know, it's metrics. It's, you know, it's, it's the structure of uh, validation. And just cause I, I can't not say this. I think people just don't charge enough for their, 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 um, their services. I, I, people are nervous. They feel like they're gonna have to discount compete on price. And um, it's just not a, it's not a great, great place to be. You know, it's not a great place to live as an entrepreneur. And, and by the way, it's very difficult to scale. It's very difficult to break out of that freelancer mode if you are the cheap commoditized freelancer. I love that so much. All of that is so important. So much value there. Thank you. All right. So I want to shift um, gears just a little bit. We've talked so much about success and fulfillment and all of those amazing things. Um, but I ask every single one of my guests, what does success mean to you now? And how has that changed for you throughout your life? And we've talked about it a little bit, but- I'll Yeah, I was going to say like, I kind of, uh, 
to me, like my, my definition of success is being able to live a life consistent with your priorities. That's my definition of success. You know, I think a lot of people get them backwards. Like they feel like they've got a, um, and, and I lived this way for a long time too. You know, it, it, we talked about it a little bit. It's the, I'll be able to do that when I, yeah. um, and so it's like, well, I got to make money. And then after I make the money, I can go be happy. <laughs> you know, and it doesn't work that way. And, and by the way, it's really easy to get sucked back in. I, sometimes I wake up still thinking that and I have to kind of shake it off and go, nope, nope, that's not right. I definitely have come to the conclusion that, that the money follows the happiness, the success. Like you have to get in flow with yourself. Like you have to find out what it is that's driving you and what's important to you. And when you do that, people can read it off your face. They can read it off your marketing material. They can, you know, I, I, I had a conversation with someone just this morning, someone I haven't talked to in years and uh, you know, and lots of, lots has changed since the last time we chatted. And he's like, I can just see that you're happier. Um, and so it's true. Like, I think we, we kind of feel like that happiness or that, again, there's some arrival point you know, that we're, we're moving for, you know, we're trying to get to the plateau or whatever. There's just not, it's, it's, it's always an uphill climb. So you better just be happy now. <laughs> yeah. And, and I feel like we, we talked so much about post grad education stuff, but I feel like that is kind of in that culture of post-grad education, because there's always that ending point, right? There's that graduation and then go off and do this and then make this money and then you've made it. And then when you make it, you're like, what the hell am I supposed to do now? Like, what am I supposed to do with my life? So I think that that's so important. We talked a little bit about the changes in ads and, and we talked about this in particular to ads of like, any little thing could be the thing that you need to change. But what specific, how specifically has failure in your life contributed to your success and like your willingness to get out there and just retry things over and over again and not let failure stop you? Yeah. Uh, I, so, so I did a podcast interview with someone a couple of days ago. And I'm going to totally steal the line that he said. It, it, basically, there's like three kinds of people in the world. There are the people who are just dumb and don't learn from their mistakes, just keep making them over and over again. This is the people who are kind of regular people that learn from their mistakes. And then there are smart people who learn from other people's mistakes. And he said, and I'll say the same thing, I'm kind of between two and three. Like I'm, I'm the first group to the middle group. But uh, that definitely, I've, you know, I've made the same mistake a couple of times. There's, there's nothing that focuses your mind more than business failure. And I'm talking about like straight up business fan, not just like, oh, I guess that launch didn't work. I'll slink away and kind of do anything. I'm talking about like four employees you have to lay off and carrying furniture out of your office in the middle of the night so the landlord doesn't lock it in. Like that kind of business <laughs> failure. Like sneaking into your server location and grabbing your server out of the co-location facility so they don't hold on to it for unpaid bills. That's the kind of business failure I've done. So it is a truly mind-focusing <laughs> experience. And it sucks. I wish I could say I went through that cycle faster. But um, the thing that I kind of got from all of that was, um, or, or I'm still getting, I'm still, still learning through some of this, is number one, life's too short to not take the risk. Because sometimes it's going to fail and sometimes it's going to succeed massively. And frankly, I don't care how smart a business consultant or whatever is, then no one can tell you for sure. 
um, whether it's going to work. You're just gonna, not going to know until you try. But on the same of the same token, I have set myself up to fail faster. So the faster you can get to failure, the better off you are. And I know it sounds weird. And there are people out there who are like, oh, I hate this failure culture. But what <laughs> I mean by that is if you define failure as learning something, then yeah, get to the learning points as quickly as possible. So, you know, if you want to launch a product or if you want to get an idea out there, um, take that big, huge idea and, and create a small version of it and, and just try to get it out there as quickly as you can talking to people, try, you know, if it's software you want to build, try to just do it manually for a little bit and see if anyone would even pay you to do it manually. If it's a service you're trying to launch, like go talk to three people and see if, you know, if you could just get three people, forget building your landing pages and your email list and all this stuff, like see if you can get one person to buy it. And if you can't, like, don't bother with the rest of it, fail fast. That's kind of the thing I've taken away from it. I, I don't, I wish I could say I've cracked the code to avoid failure, but I, I don't know <laughs> such a thing that is when you become a huge like billionaire like is when you crack the code to to avoid failure but get success at the same time because we I can avoid so, failure yeah. all day long we're just not going to accomplish anything in our life right, but yeah. like if you can avoid failure and be successful at the same time and you can teach people how to do that like you are set forever. that's a really good point yeah <laughs> don't avoid failure by not trying that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. um so what do you do personally or when you're dealing with your clients when you know you've like got all of these processes in place you've done all the work and it comes to execution and you're just sitting there in that spot where you know that you have to like push send on that email or push record on that video and you're like yeah. this is going to be awful like how do you push yourself through those points do you mean like that you're not comfortable with the quality level or you're, or you're not sure if you've got it right and you just kind of do it anyway. Yeah. And yeah. like, and even that or just like the imposter syndrome that pops up of like, why the hell oh, am sure. I doing this? Yeah. Like just any of those things that may, you may crawl back in your hole and be like, you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to do this. Yeah. So, um, I, I think that one thing, and you kind of um, mentioned this earlier on, which is, you know, you, one of the things you have to do to build a business, you have to kind of get comfortable with letting go, like, like getting out of control. And on the, on the flip side, like similarly, I guess, you have to also be okay with imperfection. I tell all of my clients when we start working on program design and business model, uh, I tell them, um, you are going to get this wrong. It's going to be wrong. Just whatever you're writing down on paper, it's going to be wrong. And people are like, huh? Like, okay, yeah, I get it. That's funny. And I'm like, no, seriously, I want you to like embody that because the thing is, is that you are going to get stuck at some point. You are going to be like, oh, this isn't really good. And I want you to tell yourself, yeah, no, it sucks. But we're going to go out with it anyway. Because honestly, again, I don't care how smart, it's not me, anyone. I don't care how smart people say they are. No one can tell you whether your idea is going to work or not until you actually get in front of someone who's going to write you a check. Like that's how you find out. Love it. So just do it. That's the answer. Yeah. Like Nike's and, had and, it and, all along. Yeah, just do it. It is just do it. But I think it's just do it because I, you know, I hate that stuff. I'm, I'm not a mindset coach. So yeah. like I hear that stuff and I'm like, blah, 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 okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's like, just do it because it is going to suck. Like you're yeah. not hitting send because you're worried it sucks. It sucks. Yeah, That's okay. absolutely. I love that so yeah. much. All right. So before we wrap up, I would love to give everybody an opportunity to get to know you a little bit more and do a quick random round. Are you okay with that? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. What profession other than your own do you think would be fun to attempt? I think it would be, well, okay. 
if I have to be totally honest, like the, I think I would have liked to have been a spy really like everyone called me one, but like I, you know, it's a joke because I traveled around a lot, but that actually would have been kind of fun probably until I got shot out for the first time. And then I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. Then you're like, I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. James, James Bond, Bond makes it look it. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, if you could time travel, where would you go and why? Yo, gosh. Um, I could say something stupid here. Uh, I would have, I guess I would, I would go, um, I would go, this is going to be weird, but this is the one thing that I really am like fascinated by. I, I would go back to the late eighties, early nineties and drop myself in behind the former iron curtain and just experience Eastern Europe as it was coming out of, you know, being controlled by the Soviet Union. I know for those of you who are not like millennials are listening to this going, what, what's the Soviet Union? But I, <laughs> as, a, as a kid of the 80s, I was always fascinated by that. And um, when I finally actually ended up doing work in Russia, I fell in love with like Slavic culture and the language and all that kind of stuff. So um, I would love to, it, it's, it's, it's different. Some people hate it, but for me, I just love that. So that's probably where I would go. That sounds so interesting, and I would love to go on that trip. Um, and I do now feel oddly old thinking about the fact that I know what the Soviet Union is and that there are people who don't. don't. Um, yeah, exactly. Like, I, I don't even think my brother was born when the Soviet Union existed, and I was like, yeah. okay, never mind. As far as personality traits, is there a personality trait that you think that you um, have that has helped you throughout your, your career or your life? Um, I think that I, for me, it's, um, I'm kind of a, you know, if you go like the Myers-Briggs kind of uh, personality profile type, I'm an, I'm an N, so I'm, I'm an intuitive thinker, which for a math guy is really unusual. So you don't have a lot of math guys that are intuitive thinkers. In fact, like, I mean, it, it was, you know, it was problematic in some areas academically, but it, it allowed me to like think really outside the box in a lot of different ways. And um, I am definitely someone who, like, if I sit down trying to solve a problem, I can, I jump to the end. Like, I can visualize the solution. I have no idea how we're going to get there, but I can visualize the solution. And then we work our way through. And a lot of other people kind of think their way deductively through it. And I'm definitely an inductive person. So I, I want to jump to the end and figure that out. And I think that's um, me to do stuff that probably other people weren't able to do. Like, one, one of the software startups that I was involved in, we had to I probably shouldn't tell the story. One of the software servers I was involved in, when I got there, the founders had told me that they had this rhythm figured out for this very, very sophisticated calculation and that it was just my job to like get it up and running. Well, when I actually got hired by that startup, I got into under the covers and found out that actually, no, there was no algorithm. No one had actually <laughs> solved the problem yet. So like, you know, I was at this place where it's like, well, what do you do? Like, this is a, this is one of those like math problems that hasn't been solved before. And I'm, it's not, that's not my thing really. I mean, I'm a math guy, but I'm not a algorithm guy and I'm definitely not, you know, winning any awards, but um, I kind of sat there for a while and I imagine I kind of pictured this solution and, and I sat there for like 36 hours with one of our developers and we hacked out this algorithm and came up with a brand new way to solve the math problem that no one else had been able to do before. So it's, it's uh, that, that I would say has probably been the most helpful. Love it. And as far as books, do you prefer reading them or listening to them? I'm definitely a read person. 
reader. I get bored really fast listening to stuff. I, my mind will wander. I, I'm definitely, I'll be listening to an audio book and then like a minute later, I'll be like, wait, 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 what was just said? <laughs> no, and I find, and what's worse is when that happens on a book you really want to listen to yes. and then you're rewinding it like yeah. nine times exactly. and it feels like you're always getting distracted at the same point. Right. And then you're like, crap. So um, I'm with you there. <laughs> what book have you gifted the most or what's your favorite book to read? Um, I, I think, uh, and it's changed over time, uh, but right now, I think one of the books that I recommend the most often to people is um, this book called Atomic Habits. Yeah. And gosh, I don't even remember who the author is. Anyway, you can look it up, Atomic Habits. But it's, it's um, so I am, I am so on the opposite side of all of the goal setting, vision boarding, like I am not that person. Um, so I'm like a fidgety cynic when it comes to that stuff. But this really was like, okay, like let's actually break down like how to, how to set goals and achieve them in a way that um, is a lot more understandable to me as kind of a process guy. And interestingly enough, I learned it was a lot more about identification, like who I felt I was. And that part of the reasons why I wasn't reaching some of the goals I wasn't reaching is because I didn't think I was the person who would reach the goal. And anyway, fascinating book. Uh, anyone who's looking to you know, really accomplish something big, I think there's some cool stuff in there. Love it. And it is by James Clear for anybody there who's listening. Go. So, all right. I'm a music nerd. So I always have to ask people what song pumps you up right now or what, what's, what's playing when you get up in the morning that kind of gets you out of bed and moving. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a, it, interestingly enough, like while I was an undergraduate, I actually studied music theory and composition for a little bit. So I, I'm a classical music guy. And I think it was really weird. Like I really like the classic stuff. Um, and, and it's, and it was like really nerdy, but I, I, um, I enjoy listening because I, I, the patterns and the structure and all that stuff. And I, I really enjoy it. So, I mean, I'm going to say this as lovingly as possible. I think you lost the nerdy competition when you wanted to teach math. So no. yeah, that's, true. that's a good point. <laughs> no, I love me. I, and it's, it's interesting that you talked about that though, because I play the piano and I love classical stuff as well. And sometimes I'll find myself getting so mathematical with it. Like sometimes yeah. it's not even about the music to me. It's about like, I'm seeing almost an equation in the notes. Uh -huh. And so yeah, I can totally see that. That's how I look at music. I'm a theorist. I'm totally a theorist. You know, there's people, I actually play the piano as well, but uh, people sit down and kind of do it by ear. And for me, it's like chords and progressions and, you know, 12 tone sequences and stuff. I love that stuff. Yeah. Love it. Love it. All right. So um, I recently got on this morning routine kick where it kind of jump started my morning. So I always like to get ideas from other people as well. Do you have a morning routine? And if so, what's in that? Oh gosh, this is the one, this is the one podcast question that I flunk because I am the exact opposite of everything you should do in the morning. Like I roll over and check my phone, <laughs> like I am the worst. So I'm not going to set myself up as some like amazing morning routine thing. But what I will say is um, when I get this right, and I do more often than not, I think it's, it's, um, I, I, I set on my board, I've got this like square and it's like today and it's just one thing. So I stopped making to-do lists. I stopped trying to like get this huge, like, you know, check off the, like the old ABC, you know, forward over to tomorrow prioritization <laughs> thing. Like if I could get one thing done today, I'm like happy. So it's, it's essentialism, I suppose. That's another book that's really good by the way. Um, but it's like getting the one thing done. So I try to, 
I try to center myself with one thing. Um, I'm not always perfect at it, but that's, that's the one thing. I love it. And I can completely understand because I feel like when I write out my calendar every day, I'm just writing the same damn to-do list over and over again. And then I end up shutting down. Yeah. Well, it's just something in, and I, I get into, I get into intellectual debates with people about this, but I find that like, if you're, if you've got something on a to-do list and you keep forwarding it, or even the thing which sits up in my little today box, if it doesn't get done after a couple of days, that tells me like, it's not supposed to get done. Like it's not, it's not going to happen. And so erase it, do it a different way, figure out something else. Cause like your brain is kind of telling you something there. Um, yeah, we procrastinate and I'm a procrastinator and there's definitely something to that, but I do think that your subconscious also understands a little bit better how you operate and how you can be in flow. And if you're pushing something off or avoiding it, maybe there's another way or a different way around it. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And if it's something that's crucial that absolutely has to get done to run your business, then it's time to hire somebody to do it if you can, yeah, because clearly. Or it'll get done. Like, yeah. that's the thing. Like, if it's a ringing phone, you're going to answer it. You know what I yeah. mean? So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. Well, one of the things we didn't get a ton of time to dig into today are your books, but I know that that's available on your website as well. Yeah. And we have your podcast. Where's the best place for people to reach out to you if they want to connect with you? Yeah. I mean, um, social media, LinkedIn, I'm in LinkedIn and that's probably a great place, pretty active there. Um, and so if you look at Frank Bria, uh, I think there's very few of us in the world. <laughs> I'll probably go first. Um, but uh, LinkedIn is probably social media wise, but um, you know, if, if the people are want to get a little bit of insight into this process of actually productizing the business and how to run something that's actually a business, not a freelance, we put together kind of best practices, standard operating procedures on how to run a business um, that is an actual business. And we call it our black book. It's kind of our, our secret recipes, you know, of, of how to do things like how do you hold an onboarding session and how do you hold a group coaching session and how do you do customer success and stuff like that. And so if you go to frankbria.com slash black book, just one word black book, um, you can get a copy of that for free. It's about, it's a little more than 60 pages of, stuff. And it's literally very tactical. Step one, step two, step three, not a lot of fluff in there. Love it. Love it. Um, well, I definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing some value with um, the audience today. And thank you for that um, gift that you gave at the end. I think that's going to be super helpful for anybody trying to figure out their business. So I appreciate that. Thanks so much, Amber. It was a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the show. I hope that something that was said resonated with you or provided value to you in one way or another. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the show. You can reach out to me on Facebook or Instagram at Amber Furman. Also, I've created a Facebook community for followers of the show to interact with me and other members of the community. You can find that on Facebook at More Than Corporate. So go ahead and join that group if you'd like to stay up to date on podcast happenings and meet some really cool people. Again, thanks so much for tuning in.